My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 13. Well, hello, folks. This is Lenny Lawson, the Car Guru. Thanks for tuning in. A little bit bummed this morning. I was trying to buy some cars yesterday on Bring a Trailer Auction. How many cars do I need? None. I don't need any more, that is, but I needed this 1963 Ford Thunderbird Roadster. It was a convertible. And uh, just, I just love the style of this car. I sent a picture of it to my brother, and he said, Are you kidding? No, I wasn't kidding. I really wanted it. I had set a limit for myself. I was going to spend no more than $50,000 on this uh, beautiful red Ford Thunderbird. It brought $75,500. I missed that one. I also missed a 1967 Chevrolet Corvette. My maximum on it was $75,000. You'd think I would know better. The car brought $195,000. I guess the reason I was kind of hoping that, you know, that it would bring the kind of money that I was thinking about is because it did not have the highest performance 427 engine available in 1967. Matter of fact, it was the lowest. Just had a little four-barrel carburetor on it. But it because it was all original, people went nuts. You know, a car is worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. It has nothing to do with, you know, you can look at all the books in the world. That even applies to your car, you know, the one in your garage. You could go to five different places and, and get five totally different bids uh, from insulting to, wow, I need to take that. Really, a lot of it depends on how badly the, the buyer wants it. You know, if, if it's an individual and, you know, maybe his motivations are nostalgic, then they'll pay more money. Sometimes, as long as their liquidity will will stand it. Uh, if it's a dealer and they're low on inventory, then they'll pay more for your car than uh, a guy that's loaded up and has plenty of cars. So how do you know? I mean, I guess one of the best things you can do as a car owner, if you want to find out what your car is worth, maybe you could start with me and I'll, I'll give you some market values. You can look online yourself at different things. You just don't have the access to the information that I do. But, you know, you could just go from dealership to dealership and just get off, solicit offers from different people. Do you have time for that? Well, you might. But if you don't, then, uh, you know, you just have to go by whatever the book is, is saying. Um, you can't really go by what people are advertising cars like yours for. If you look online like Car Gurus or Auto Trader or something like that, uh, if you just look at asking prices, then that kind of gives you an idea as far as market value. I would try to look at at least, you know, 10 or 15 vehicles that are exactly like yours, you know, as far as miles, condition. Make sure it has the same basic trim package. You know, if if you're looking at a bunch of cars that are like the middle grade model and, and uh, yours is the higher end model with the sunroof and leather and all that stuff, then your car is going to be worth more. So, you know, you can't really judge by that. Try to find cars that are comparable to what you have with comparable miles. And then you can kind of get a feel for what dealers are asking for them. Uh, you really don't know what they're what they're bringing on the market, but it's going to be pretty close. But yeah, I, I was totally fooled on these, uh, these vehicles. Uh, I'm also looking at a 2023 Corvette Stingray. I had one. And, um, it was, uh, it's, this is a three LT package, which is exactly like what I had with a special handling package called Z 51. That means something to somebody. 
It is uh, current bid is eighty four thousand dollars. I need this like I need a hole in the head. Now, where does this money come from that I talk about? You know, to to hear me talking right now, you think that I just had you know all this money to just throw it whatever I want to. No, I have strategic plans with my collection. I don't want to buy anything my family's going to get stuck with. And usually when I buy something like, let's say I bought that Thunderbird, I would sell something else to be able to make room for it. So it's not like I'm building this huge museum car collection or anything. But I do enjoy, you know, sometimes I will buy cars and keep them and hold on to them forever, like my Ford 1970 Ford Bronco or, I don't know, I'm not going to go through the whole list, but there are cars that I have no intention of selling in the near future. Now, I may feel totally different. Uh, two, three years from now, 10 years from now. You know, it's just something that in my old age I've been able to do and I've built up. You know, I, quite frankly, I do this in lieu of putting this same amount of money in the stock market or in a 401k retirement fund, whatever you want to call it. It's a, it's a savings account, really, that I make money on. I mean, it's a profitable, it's kind of like a business, but it's not really one. I mean, I'm not doing it. Um, I'm doing it to, to always stay ahead, okay, as far as the values are concerned. I don't want to, you know, bite off something that, that's going to cost me money, like I've done several times in the past. And usually it's because I didn't do enough research. That's why I got burned. I bought a Porsche, 1991 Porsche uh, 911 Targa one time. And I was just so enthusiastic about it. I just sold one. Well, I'd sold one about six months earlier, and I was having withdrawal. And so I just I had to get one. This looked good. It was on an eBay auction. And, man, I just I clicked and clicked and, and actually won the auction. And, boy, was that a mistake. I took a bath on that one. It was a car that was black, and I thought it was born black. If I had done a little research, I would have known that it was born yellow and that it had been uh, wrecked really badly. And so, you know, those two factors were evident once the car was delivered, and I really looked at it closely. I could see yellow paint in different places. That's really bad. That is so bad when that happens. Uh, It's better to do your research before you leap. So I'm very careful. Now, bring a trailer is a pretty safe place to buy vehicles. I'm getting ready to list a... um, a Le Mans, let's see, a 69 Pontiac Le Mans convertible on there. We traded for it. And I'm going to put it on Bring a Trailer because it's just such a expansive audience that is looking at these cars. It's not like, you know, putting something on Auto Trader or something like that where not, not many people are going to see it. You don't have the car collectors. You know, I want to put these cars where the 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 audience that I'm trying to attract is there, you know, if they're not there, then, I mean, it doesn't make any sense for me to promote a 69 Le Mans convertible on, you know, in, in the local newspaper, for example, in the classifieds. Remember when we used to do that? You know, I could put it in Hemmings Magazine, which is a car collector magazine, but still, it's it's printed on paper. you got to put it online where there are eyes, and the, the most car collectors for any kind of vintage car is on bringatrailer.com. So I'm a fan. It's worked out pretty good for me. Okay, I'm going to take my first break. I'll be back here in just a minute. Okay, I'm back. One of the things I want to talk about today is something you may have faced if you've wrecked your vehicle to any significant degree in the last five or so years. Insurance companies 
are rebelling against repairs in many cases. They would they they think that they're better off just to go ahead and take the collateral, pay the car off, you know, pay the owner off and not try to fix the vehicle because it's just too expensive. I remember when if a car still had, let's say you wrecked it and it costs 70% of the value to fix it, then the insurance companies would probably fix it uh, and really push down on the body shops to try to get their prices down so that the loss was minimized as far as the company is concerned. You know, what is the motive of the insurance company? Well, yeah, they want to keep you as a customer, but the number one thing they want to do if you have an accident is to minimize the cost of repair, and they also want it fixed right. Uh, that's why they're very selective about the body shops that they use to fix vehicles anymore. If the body shop doesn't have a good reputation, they don't want them fixing the car. And in a lot of circumstances, the insurance company is totaling cars that used to be fixed. And it's simply because that they're, they're rolling the dice. They think that they can come out better at the salvage auction, you know, the money that they pay you for your repair and the salvage auction, so they just total your vehicle and force you to go buy something new. And I really don't mind that. Personally, if I wreck a car pretty badly, I don't want it anymore. You know, because I haven't... There used to be a lot of good body shops, and cars used to be relatively easy to fix. But now with all the high-strength steels that they use and the aluminum, like, for example, the the F-150, all aluminum, basically, as far as the body is concerned... um, and all of these expensive headlight assemblies. I mean, I was checking the other day. I think I might have mentioned it on the radio uh, show. There was a, a headlight assembly that we had to replace on a BMW. It was $3,500 for one side. That was the left side headlight. That was not the, both headlights. Uh, it's just unbelievable. And then if the airbags go off, then that's a, a much greater cost. So insurance companies are very likely to total vehicles that they used to repair. So what does that mean for you if you owe more on your vehicle than it's worth? So they, the insurance company decides to total it. Uh, let's say that the total value, and they're willing to pay off the, the value of the vehicle. They, they, they are not obligated to pay off what you owe on the car. You do realize that, right? So if you owe $50,000 and the car is only valued at $40,000, then you've got $10,000 you've got to come up with. And the lender is going to force you to come up with that or they're going to sue you for the deficiency and it will ruin your credit. That's why people buy gap insurance. You ever heard of gap insurance? That is insurance that steps in that helps pay that difference. So that $10,000 gap would be paid by the other insurance company that when you bought the car. Should you buy gap insurance? Well, I think you should if you finance cars for long terms like, you know, 72 months, 84 months, something like that, and if you pay very little down. Because if you are involved in an accident, it's going to be a financial problem for the average person. You know, a lot of people are having a hard time making car payments right now. I was reading an article in Car Driver Magazine about how so many people have extended themselves, you know, really long terms on cars with little or no money down, and uh, they're extremely upside down, and they just can't make the monthly payments. You know, when they went into their to the dealership, they had their mind set, okay, honey, we can afford $400 a month. They end up paying 550 and they're on a pretty tight budget anyway. 
The insurance ends up costing them more. The car doesn't get the gas mileage that they thought it was going to get. And so uh, they're in a world of hurt, as we say around here. So I guess in that scenario, you don't want the insurance company to total the vehicle. You want to be able to get it fixed. So right-to-repair laws are starting to get some traction in a lot of states. They give the customer more rights to fix uh, the vehicle uh, that they have bought. But just because you can fix something doesn't mean that it will be easy or affordable. Now, repairing your own car has become less and less common over the years. I mean, these things, you know, people used to, around here, people used to have garages in the back of their house, and they would uh, tinker with cars a lot, and there's still a lot of people that do that, but the the technology that's on modern vehicles is just not repairable by the average Joe. It's just too complicated. For example... I remember when I when we started selling the uh, aluminum bodied F one fifty, I had to invest about forty thousand dollars in special tools just to be able to handle uh, repairs to aluminum. See, a lot of these vehicles they're not like bolted together anymore; they are welded, but they're welded in different ways with different technologies. But a lot of them use rivets and glue. And you may you mean my new car is glued together? Yeah. A lot of it is. And that glue is stronger than just about anything else. I tell you what, sometimes if you put a, if you do one of those tests where you put a clamp on one piece of metal and a clamp on the other and the two pieces are glued together, the metal will pull apart and tear before the glue, uh, the glued place will. Isn't that crazy? And right now, insurance companies are getting killed on certain vehicles like Teslas, for example, because they are just too expensive to fix. Uh, Reuters news service looked at a recent salvage auction listing and found that the vast majority of 120 Model Y, that's a Tesla, vehicles listed had less than 10,000 miles on them. And while these vehicles originally cost somewhere between 60 and 80,000, high repair costs are keeping them off the road in the future, despite their low odometer readings. Here's an example. A $61,000 2022 Tesla Model Y. It was in a front-end collision, and it would have cost more than $50,000 to fix it had the insurer approved the repair. But they didn't fix it. They totaled it, which they should have. And and the insurance company has the right to do that. But what if the people owed $60,000 on it? They probably paid MSRP for it. So they lost money. And plus, you know, another issue is the insuring costs. Insurance costs are going up. I don't know if yours has, but if you buy a Tesla, get ready because a good owner with good driving history and good credit, you can expect to pay about $2,040 a year for a Model Y, as much as $3,044 for a Model X. The average cost to insure their cheapest model, which is called the Model 3, is also 30% higher than the national average for car insurance. It's just simply because they are electric vehicles with a lot of technology and those batteries are expensive. So I think that's going to be one of the big challenges with electric vehicles as we get to know them. You know, we're kind of in a learning phase right now. You know, several months ago, I think it was in November. Yeah, it was definitely in November. I ordered two F-150s for myself. I ordered, and I was only going to take one of them. I was going to sell the other one. So I ordered a PowerBoost F-150, like the one that I've been driving for the last couple of years. I've really enjoyed it. 
You know, it has a, a inverter generator on it so that I can you know power my camper or power my house if I if there was a some type of a power outage or something like that. So I really liked it, but I, I thought you know I'll maybe try one of the uh, F one fifty Lightnings just so that I can be on the cutting edge. Well, the uh, the power boost came in first, and I just thought about it. And I said, you know, I'm just not ready yet. I don't want to. I want to be able to go, travel and go to different places in my truck because by far it's the most comfortable thing for my wife and I to travel in. So I went ahead with the power boost. Well, I got notice yesterday that my lightning has been shipped and it's going to be coming in here. So it's going to find a home somewhere else. Um, I'm just uh, not there. But the you know the big challenge would be for me is the uh, charging infrastructure traveling. Uh, not so much insurance cost or whatever because I have special deals through my car dealership. But for the average person, you got to think about that before you start take, thinking about making the plunge to electric. All those people that are, they're early adopters. I'm an early adopter for a lot of technology. You know, I, I was one of the guys, you know, when Apple came out with a new iPhone, I said, we've got to have one. You know, when if there's a new, a new Canon camera that comes out and it's digital or you know, it's the latest and greatest. Eh, I gotta have one. But electric car, eh, don't have to have one yet. Now I'll sell them, and we do. We are. I mean, we're selling Mach E's. We've got uh, one more Mach E in stock. You know, most of those are going to be ordered anyway. We've got uh, three Lightnings in stock right now. Two of them are sold, and then mine will be sold pretty quickly. So there's people are buying them, and uh, they're not really that concerned about. You know whether they're going to get stuck on a trip because they've decided that they're just going to use it 99% of the time within 300 miles of their house. You know they may not even put 300 miles in a full week on the vehicle. And in that case, it makes sense. I mean, they are really cool to drive. There is no doubt. They are silky smooth, extremely powerful. It's just eerie driving down the road in an electric vehicle because you just don't get the normal sounds and vibrations and things that you would normally feel. I would highly encourage you to go out and test drive one. I mean, you don't have to buy it. Don't let them pressure you into buying the vehicle. We certainly won't if you want to come to Greenville, Tennessee and test drive the all-new Nissan Aria. It's a little SUV and very nice nice technology. And, and uh, if you want to see what driving an electric vehicle is all about, then go to your near nearest Ford Let's see who else. You could go to a GM dealer, but basically all they have, well, they have the Bolt, and uh, they have the Hummer if they're a GMC dealer. You know, Hummer used to be a brand in and of itself. It was just a division of General Motors. Uh, they bought, General Motors bought Hummer from a company called AM General, who they used to make them for the military use and for rap singers. But then... Uh, General Motors said, well, we, we need that. That's a cool brand, and we can use that to compete with Jeep. Well, they bought it, and then when, when GM went into bankruptcy and stuff, the our government, leaders in the government said, we don't need to be letting General Motors sell these gas hogs. So they eliminated uh, both Hummer and Pontiac. Well, Hummer's back, but now it's a GMC. It's a, it's a model instead of a make. Does that make sense to you? GMC is a make, and the Hummer is a model of GMC. See, that was easy. But now the Hummer is all electric. So I don't know if they'll have any in stock because most of the dealers that I know of that were getting the early uh, 
Hummer vehicles in. Uh, they were selling them for like $75,000 over a window sticker. Those terrible people that are doing that. But, you know, the mar- there were, ter- I guess, really wonderful people who were willing to pay that to be an early adopter. See, it's a disease. It's not just me that suffers from it. Okay, I'll be back in just a minute. Okay, I'm back. You know, I'm ready for some deflation. This inflation thing, I think, has gotten out of hand, especially in the auto industry. I mean, vehicles have just gotten so expensive. And one of the reasons why they're so expensive is because of this chip shortage that we've been having to deal with has uh, led the manufacturers to kind of shift production to their more expensive vehicles. I was watching, I guess it was on the Today Show this morning where they were talking about how expensive cars had had gotten and and why they had gotten so high. The average selling price for a new car today, $49,000. That is just unbelievable. But when you have the manufacturers concentrating on Suburbans and Tahoes and Expeditions and Denali's and these expensive trucks and electric vehicles, and you don't see as many Nissan Sentras and Honda Civics and Ford Mavericks and all the lower-end stuff. Um, And the reason for that is they don't make as much money. The margins aren't there on the cheaper things. So that's where we are right now. As the chips become more available, I think we'll start seeing more base models being offered, and uh, the average selling price will come back down. You know, this has just been an unbelievable time, hadn't it? I just can't believe Sometimes I look at what we've been through since the pandemic started. And it's just like, did that really happen? You know, I look back and I think about how I was feeling about business and worried about, you know, the longevity of car dealers and, you know, it's just about any business. I mean, everybody was staying at home and we weren't going out to eat and we were afraid of each other, right? I just think what we've been through. And now we're on the other side of that, but we're going to be facing some of the ramifications of that for years, I have no doubt. So I guess we're all kind of along for the ride, wherever it takes us. We just have to respond and not get too frustrated and definitely don't watch the news too often because all that does is create anxiety, at least it does for me. So I just try to focus on my business and my family and enjoy the sunny days when they come and deal with the rainy days when they come and and uh, pray to, to the good Lord that everything will be okay. And it's all in His hands anyway. Well, thank you again for listening to this program. Uh, Call me if you want to, if you have some kind of an issue, or send me a text to 423-552-2020, or send me an email to LennyLawson2020 at gmail.com, and I'll be glad to help you out. And we'll visit next time on the next edition of My Car Guru. See you then.